Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And then it was only to Moses that God identified himself in verse 6. And again, it comes home with an impact, with a force, when we insert the words only to Moses. In verse 6, it could read it like this. Moreover, he said, only to Moses, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. He was afraid to look upon God. God revealed himself only to Moses this time here. Only to Moses did God identify himself as the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, only to Moses. And then it was only to Moses that God bared wide open his heart of what was deeply troubling God. That's a very intimate thing. I mean, if somebody, I might have something on my heart right now that's deeply troubling me. I'm not going to tell anyone, and same with you also. Why? Because it's personal, right? But God, only to Moses, bears wide open what's extremely personal to God and tells Moses what's troubling him. Only to Moses, no one else, God reveals a disturbing scene that's like burned in his eyes and in his mind as the scene fills his sight. He can see it of the affliction of his people Israel. Only to Moses, God reveals disturbing cries that fill his ears and he can hear it, the cries of the children of Israel from under the hand of the Egyptians by reason of the taskmasters. It was only to Moses that God revealed the most personal side of what was deeply causing him sorrow when he said, with this words really revealing something very intimate for God, the knowledge of their sorrows, I know their sorrows. And all this could be emphasized if we plugged in these words only to Moses in verse 7, which might read something like this. And the Lord said, only to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of the taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. It was only to Moses. It wasn't to anybody else that God revealed the most personal aspect of what was troubling him, what was disturbing him, what he'd seen, what he'd heard, what he knew. And it was only to Moses, and then it was only to Moses that God then revealed, and these are all matters of revelation. Moses, nobody could have known this, but in advance of the great trouble that came to Egypt, in advance of that, God then pulls Moses into his close confidence 
and he reveals to him that he's going to do something. And he reveals to him what he's going to do. And he says that I am come down. I myself, God says, have come down. I didn't send an angel. I didn't send 12 legions of angels. I myself, he says, have come down. I am come down. He didn't say I will come down. He said, I am come down from heaven. And it's only to Moses that he tells why he's come down. He said, I've come down to deliver my people, the Jewish people, out of the hand, the power of the Egyptians. Only to Moses, he says in verse 8, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Only to Moses, no one else. God reveals that he's come down to deliver the Jewish people just to them, just to him. He's the only one who knew. And then it was only to Moses and no one else that God revealed that he wasn't just coming down to deliver them, break the hand of the Egyptians, but he was going to do something wonderful to them. He was going to bring them into a land, a land that God described as a good land, a land described as a large land, a land that God described as a land with flowing with milk and honey. You can only imagine. Just try to imagine. You can only imagine, Moses. But he's telling them all these things here. He's explaining it to them. Only to Moses, he tells him the exact place of the land. He says it's the place where the Canaanites are now living. It's the place where the Hittites are and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. That's the place. When he says this, he makes this unique revelation only to Moses in Exodus 3.8 when he says, I'm going to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large and a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Only to Moses. Just Moses. No one else. God's revealing these things, that he's bringing the Jewish people into this land that's flowing with milk and honey. No one else did God reveal that to. Nobody else did God tell that to. He certainly didn't tell the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites that their land was going to be given to the Jewish people. Only to Moses, he tells this, of all the people that were alive at that time, God chose to single out one man, Moses, and God chose to do all this, to say all that he said to Moses, to reveal all that he revealed to Moses and to no one else. And Moses was chosen of all the people on the earth to receive all that God had done for him. Moses was chosen. Moses was privileged. Moses was benefited. And because Moses received all those benefits, which he did, what benefits? He saw God. God brought him into his confidence. God confidentially bared his heart to him wide open, told him what was troubling him, told him what was disturbing him at his core. God confidentially revealed to Moses that he was already come down there to deliver the Jewish people. God confidentially revealed to Moses that he was going to bring the Jewish people into a land that was flowing with milk and honey. He says it's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. He said it's a land that is flowing with milk and honey. He didn't say it was a land that would flow with milk and honey, but it is a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And you remember when the 12 spies were sent, or when, when the uh, 12 spies were sent into the land of Canaan, 
that they talked about, oh, the fruit is unbelievable. We came down to this river called Eshkol, and we got this huge cluster of grapes. It's so big, you have never seen anything like this before, that we got a big rod here, and we took two men of us, and this is a symbol for the state of Israel today, and we had to carry it back. It was so big, and God says, I see that land. I see that land flowing with milk and honey. I have chosen Israel to have that land, and I'm gonna bring them out of Egypt, and I'm gonna bring them into this land, and it was only to Moses that he tells all these things, and he didn't force Moses. He tells him all these things, and then there's just one thing that comes along with all things that God has chosen him for. There is responsibility now on Moses. Moses doesn't walk away and say, boy, that was really great. Thanks a lot for telling me that. That was as good as going to a movie. That's wonderful, thank you, and walk away. No, no, that's not the way it works. Because God singled out Moses, and God chose Moses to confidentially reveal all these things to him for a purpose. God had a purpose. What was the purpose? Verse 10. Verse 10 is the purpose. Come now, therefore, I've told you all these things, therefore, come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So it was because God had chosen Moses, and it was because God gave him all those great privileges that God made Moses now commissioned or responsible for bringing the Jewish people up out of Egypt. But it's the wonderful thing about God. He does all this, he bears his heart, he shows him everything, he commissions him, he calls him, he sends him, but he never pushes him. He never coerces him. He never forces Moses to accept the responsibility from God. That's totally Moses' choice as to whether or not he's going to accept the responsibility. Is God sovereign? Yes, God is sovereign. Could God force? Yes, he could force. Did God force? No, he did not. Because God, who is the all-sovereign one, has chosen, as he has with all mankind, with Moses, to crown Moses' head with the crown of sovereignty of choice. And he says to Moses, I crown you with the sovereignty of choice. That's your choice. Just like receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. Every person has their choice. To every person, God, and he's made him in the image of God, he's made man in the image of God, God has then crowned each man with the sovereignty of choice. And each man, crowned with the sovereignty of choice, must make his own choice. He will come to God's Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, receive him as his Savior, or he will not. That's man's choice. He will set before him life and death. He will advise him. God will advise him. I advise you, I counsel you, choose life that thou mayest live, as he said in Deuteronomy. But he stands back and he waits. What is your decision, God says to every man? What is your choice, God says to every person? Because God has crowned each man with the sovereignty of choice. Sovereignty of choice. God hates fatalism. Because when it comes to man making his decision, God says, each one that makes his own decision. Each one determines his destiny. Each one determines where he will spend eternity. Receive and come by the way that God has made. Come by the blood-sprinkled path. Come and put your trust and faith in God's Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ trusting in the blood that he shed when he said, of 
The blood is given to you to make an atonement for sin. Life of the flesh is in the blood in Leviticus 17, 11. Come that way, heaven, life, eternity, saved, happiness. Reject it, hell, death, misery, torment, torture, consciousness, memories that don't go away. So, but God says, you make the choice. I've said it before you as a choice, now you choose. This is the same way with Moses in the sense here that Moses has now been commissioned and given the responsibility to bring the Jewish people out, and so it's now Moses' choice to either accept or reject the responsibility that God has called him to. And as a matter of fact, as we're going to read here, Moses did not, did not at first accept the responsibility that God called them to. We get that right in the next verse, right after God called them to. In verse 11, Moses said unto God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And there's an argument that starts and it goes on for too many verses. It's difficult to read, but Moses says he can't speak, et cetera, et cetera. And and Moses finally does accept it, but along the way he unfortunately... For better or for worse, he gets strapped with his brother Aaron to be a spokesman. But finally, with some difficulty, finally Moses accepts the responsibility that God has called him to. We're going to come to that. Now, why have I done all this? Why have I described all this only to Moses and the choice that was made and Moses at first rejects and then he says, why did I do it? I mean, I didn't have to do this when we go through this, this passage. Here we can just keep on going to the next verse, but I did it for a reason. And the reason why I did this is because that whole picture of what we just covered here, only to Moses, God makes the choice, Moses rejects, Moses finally accepts, that whole picture of what happened to Moses is a picture of the Jewish people. Moses is a type of Israel. Moses is a type of the Jewish people. Moses is a parable in his life of the Jewish people, or Moses is, as Paul described himself, a pattern that the Jewish people follow. When Paul described himself, he said, you know, I first was vehemently against, and I persecuted the church, and, and I persecuted the Lord Jesus Christ, and I, was, and I was blasphemous, and I was injurious, and then I was broken, then I was saved, and then I became an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul said at one point, he said, look at me, look at me, I'm a pattern for the Jewish people that'll follow thereafter. They're in this stage, in this chapter, like I was in that stage, in that chapter. They're coming to the next chapter, like I came to that chapter, broken, broken on the way to do wrong things, the road to Damascus. Broken, broken with two questions. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, God? God, who are you? Response comes back to, I'm Jesus. God is Jesus? I'm your servant. What will you have me to do? That's that chapter. Jewish people are coming to that chapter. Then, the great spreader of the gospel to the world, Paul, to the Gentiles, starting churches left and right all over Asia Minor. That's going to be also the future for the Jewish people. So, this is the picture we have of the Jewish people. Now, Paul asks about the Jewish people a very interesting question, and it's found in Romans 3.1, and if you turn, Romans 3.1. Paul raises a question because he asked this question in Romans 3.1, what advantage then hath the Jew? 
That's an important word that Paul's used there, advantage. What is the advantage? What is the privilege? What is the benefit? What is the unique privilege? What is the singular benefit of being a Jew? What advantage do the Jewish people have? What advantage does the Jew have or the Jewish people? What is the unique privilege that the Jewish people have? What is the singular benefit that the Jewish people have? What is it? <laughs> is it that they have, you know, so many Nobel Prize winners or, you know, Leonard Bernstein or Albert Einstein and all the Steins and everything? Well, what is it? The answer is that compared to all other people, there is great advantage that the Jews have. And the answer to the question of Paul's question, what advantage then hath the Jew, is crystallized when we look at Moses here in Exodus trying to bring out, because we can ask the same question about Moses. What advantage then hath Moses? What advantage or unique privilege or singular benefit did Moses have? We just saw only to Moses he had the advantage of seeing, to, of seeing God. Only to Moses he had the advantage of having God bring him close into his confidence. Only to Moses had the advantage of having God bear wide open his heart. Only to Moses had the advantage of having God revealed what was really troubling him at his core. Only to Moses he had the advantage of having God revealed that he had come down already to deliver the Jewish people. Only to Moses had the advantage of God revealed to him that he was going to bring Israel into the land of Canaan flowing with milk and honey. So when Paul asks the question in Romans 3.1, what advantage then hath the Jew? It says, or what profit is there of circumcision? That's an interesting word. What profit, it's a Greek word that means what heaped up benefit. What heaped up benefit is there of circumcision, in other words, of the Jews? Paul immediately answers the question. Immediately answers the question in the next verse, in Romans 3.2, where he says, much every way. Much every way. Chiefly, he starts off chiefly. Now when it comes to chiefly, it's the word proton, which means in Greek, in the first place. Chiefly, or in the first place. First place, top of the list, without question, Paul says, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Unto them were committed the oracles of God. Paul says that compared to other people on the earth, there are so many advantages that the Jew has compared to other people. There are so many unique benefits that the Jew has compared to other people. There are so many singular privileges that the Jew has compared to other people. But this verse says that even though there are so many, and it's a long list, there's one item that's at the top of the list, and it's called the oracles of God were committed to them. The oracles of God. That's interesting. The oracles of God. What's he talking about, the oracles of God? He's talking about the words of God, the word of God, the Bible. We don't use that term today, the oracles of God, when we want to refer to the Bible. We just say the Bible. The Bible's a great term. There's nothing wrong with the word Bible. Bible, Biblos, it comes from, means book. It's good, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with calling it the book. It is the book. But the word oracles, to refer to the Bible, emphasizes it's a very important aspect because oracles is like what you said, what you're saying. So in other words, when you say it's the oracles of God, it's what God said. And by using the word oracles is like calling the Bible, these are the sayings of God. 
These are the words of God. These are the sayings of God. This is what God said. Constantly read in the Old Testament. Thus saith the Lord in the Old Testament. Thus saith the Lord. That's what it means. The oracles of God. It's a great term because it's when you say the oracles of God, it's saying that this book is what God said. These are the recorded testimony of God. It's just like this book is like the work of a court reporter. Picture a court reporter. Court reporter goes up into heaven and he takes down, and she takes down, excuse me, woman, she takes down God's testimony and then she emerges from heaven with what God said. Her work product from having been in the presence of God when her court reporting, her work product are the oracles of God. That's what the Bible is, and that's why the term oracles of God, to refer to the Bible, is such a wonderful term, because it brings home the idea that the words in this book, the words in the Bible, came right from the lips of God. Right from the lips of God. It came right out of the mouth of God. Right out of the mouth of God. There is a link between these words and the mouth of God. There's a link between these words and the lips of God. There's a link there, and this link, and there's the importance of this link, the importance of this link is emphasized to us, and Moses emphasizes to us in Deuteronomy 8.3. And these are very important words, so important that the Lord Jesus Christ used these words in his battle against Satan in the wilderness, and one of the three temptations that he went through there. In Deuteronomy 8.3, it says this. Moses is talking to the Jewish people, and he says, And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, the mouth of the Lord, doth man live. Oh, these are wonderful things here. What Moses is saying here is he's saying, you know that experience when you, you know, you were taken by God and you came to the bitter waters, Mara, and then, you know, you got hungry out there in the wilderness and you came to me, I come to you and says, hey, where's my food? Oh, come on, you know, don't I, I normally eat this for breakfast, this for lunch, this for dinner, here's my menu, where's my food? Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said? He says, your heavenly Father knows that you have need of those things. You don't have to present a menu to him. He knows you have need of those things. He knoweth, your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But you know what else? Your heavenly Father knoweth what you also need and you don't know that. So when it says there that he humbled thee, that means your heavenly Father knew you needed to be humbled. And when it says in there that he suffered thee to hunger, he knew you were hungry. Your heavenly father knoweth that you have needed these things. He knew you had need of these things, but he knew that you need to have need of that. He knew you needed to hunger. He suffered you to hunger. You needed to hunger. Why? Because then, he says, when you're in the wilderness, it's not by the sweat of your brow, or as he put it, planting with your feet, or your toes, and that's how they used to do it in Egypt. They used to use their toes and kind of make furrows and drop the seed in there. Not that way. Not by feeding cattle. Not that way. He says, instead, you had to look up into the place, the most unlikely place where you would ever expect food to come from, the sky. 
And every day it came from there. And he said, your heavenly father knew that you had need to understand that he would feed you with manna, mana. What's that? That's what it means literally. What is that? <laughs> he says, you had need to understand that your heavenly father would feed you with something that you would look at and say, what's that? How can that be food? Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.